1 Peter chapter 3. Now, we began an introduction of verses 8 through 12 last Sunday morning, and so today we're going to jump right into the precious Word of God. The title of the message for actually last Sunday and for probably the next mm, at least two Sundays, if not three, Submitting to Blessings in the Church. So I want to remind you that uh, as we opened this morning, I said this is uh, the believer's safe place, but I also want to remind you of this. You are no more blessed during the week than you are when you're with God's people in the house of God. All people, all God's people said, Amen. never. This is the primary place of blessing where we receive what the Spirit of God has in store for his people. Peter, a man that is, for the most part, very unacquainted with what we're going to read this morning, until his exposure to Jesus Christ, is writing a very long passage about submission. If you know anything at all about Peter, you know he was not very submissive. Peter was an extraordinary personality. He was what we would uh, today uh, label as a type A personality. He was always impetuous. Peter had to always be on the move. And it's interesting that now he is in prison, and so the Lord has slowed him down. It's also good to slow down sometimes. And we're going to see that in these marvelous verses that the Spirit of God laid upon Peter's heart to write. I want to read, beginning in verse 8, read through verse 12. We're going to focus primarily on verse 8 this morning. Finally, in summary to this long passage, is this long passage about submission. Finally, and I'm reading from the New King James, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, be humble. Can be translated courteous, but most translations say humble. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life, a quote from Psalm 34, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. A remarkable passage of scripture and sometimes you read these and you say, well, we've, we've covered this a number of times in other writings, and we're going to look at some of those in just a few minutes, but I don't want to remind you of the five adjectives that are found in verse 8. Four of them are used only here in the New Testament. So yes, some similarities to the writing of Paul and to the writing of James, but they are unique. So Peter is writing to a discouraged people. He is writing to, uh, to the diaspora, those that were scattered abroad Asia Minor, those that were in perhaps home churches or, or uh, just uh, churches that met by...
rivers. We know that from uh, the writings of Paul. And so he is writing to encourage them because he says, listen, you're aliens, you're sojourners. You're just like I am. And so remember that. These five adjectives describe for us the attitude of Jesus Christ, who alone exemplifies all five of these. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. You are a sure and a steadfast anchor. You are the God that loves us with a steadfast love. And so our prayer is this morning that you would move in our hearts in such a manner that we would be made like Christ. We ask, Father, that you would reveal to us our sin. We read from the book of Hebrews this morning. Forgive us of our unbelieving hearts. And then, Father, fill us with the Spirit in order that these wonderful descriptions of the good life that we've just read would accompany each and every born-again believer. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. All right, Mr. Logan, first slide. Let's, last Sunday we closed out with the first bullet on this particular slide. And I reminded you, or I closed out last Sunday by saying, do, do you desire love, life, peace, and blessings? And if you do, they're described right here. We hear quite a number of times people say, I'm so blessed, and we are. But as I reminded you, you're no more blessed during the week than being in the house of God with his people responding to the word of God. So then the question is, how do you bless others? That's what Peter is saying. He's describing for us how we bless others other people. So he wants us to submit. This goes all the way back to verse 13 of chapter 2. And now he's talking about submission in the church. He instructs us to submit to the blessing in the church with these five attitudes, these five adjectives. He talks here about being of one mind or like-mindedness. You could use the word harmony there if you want to uh, uh, have a comparison. The second thing he talks about here is compassion for one another or sympathy. He wants us to be sympathetic toward one another. He doesn't want us to be pathetic. He doesn't want us to desire sympathy. Sometimes we do. Thirdly, in fact, uh, he talks about brotherly love, and I've got here not, not generic affection, but there are three tenses of the word love that's found in this one verse alone. We'll examine those this morning. Here he's speaking of a brotherly love, a shared love within the church of the living God. Fourth, he talks about compassion, or he talks about uh, uh, being tenderhearted, to be kind-hearted, if you please. And then fifthly, he's talking about being courteous, or literally to be humble, or the word there is humble-mindedness. If you are like-minded as a church, then what follows is a humble mindset. And then I have I asked this question, did Peter portray these? And if you go back and you read the Gospels, 
in the New Testament, you find that more often than not, Peter did not display these. He was not harmonious. He was at times a very um, agitating type of person. Did he display sympathy? No. The one time he said, let's call down fire from heaven and consume these. So that's not sympathy. Third, did he love the brothers? Well, Peter, it was always, Peter, James, and John were always concerned about who was going to be closest to Jesus. Did he display compassion or empathy? Occasionally he did. But certainly he didn't display compassion when he pulled out his sword and cut, cut off the ear of the high priest when Jesus was arrested. And was he humble? No. So the wonder and grace of God is that God forgives us when we are not harmonious, when we are not sympathetic, when we don't love as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are not compassionate, and when we are not humble. However, his expectation is that we commit ourselves to these particular attributes and attitudes of his son, Jesus Christ. Five components to develop the right attitude. And as I mentioned, four of the five terms are never used anywhere else in the New Testament. Translated in the English that way, but not in the Greek. So Peter here is invoking for us and for those that are his, uh, his audience in the, the, uh, in the ancient times, a new vocabulary that specifically addresses the particular summary that he has in mind for being submissive. No one's left out. Submit to the government. Submit to your employers. Submit to your family. Submit to your church family. And that covers about every nook and cranny of life, does it not? It does. Every nook and cranny, every facet of life is covered by what Peter wrote. Now, we're not going to go back and read this long passage, but remember that the passage is focused on submission. He's actually going to re uh, remind us of submission several times in the latter two chapters, but primarily in these center chapters here of First uh, Peter. Now, let's break these down. In verse 8, the very first one he talks about is being like-minded, being of one mind, being harmonious, and the word that is used, the root word here, is found only here in the New Testament. Now, Paul wrote a similar type, in fact, he wrote several times, a similar type of uh, uh, charge to the churches that he wrote to. Here, Peter is saying, I want you to have a, a common mindset. Now, the difference here between what Peter, Peter's audience and the, the audiences of Paul and, uh, and others in the New Testament, the difference is Paul primarily writes to the local church. Peter here is writing to local churches, plural. And so these were folks that were in different churches. 
And he is reminding them that there needs to be harmony within those churches. He is saying you are not permitted, you're not permitted to use your individual tastes. We've talked about this before. Your preferences, your gifts or your, hap- uh, or your habits to gain some type of position or some type of uh, uh, of opportunity to promote yourself within the church. He says the approach is to be harmonious. You're to have the same thoughts. Now, we're going to define this for you. We don't think alike. I'm preaching this morning. The Lord is, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, sending hundreds of thoughts in and through my, uh, my mind. You folks that teach, you know how that is. These, what, what am I going to focus on during this particular time? You are listening. I listen in our Sunday school class. And so the listening carries with it a different type of thinking than the preaching or the teaching. But the goal is, through the preaching and teaching and the hearing, that harmony be developed within the local church. The same thoughts and assessments of the essentials of life. That's what Peter's talking about here. The triune God, salvation, our character, and our virtue, our commitment to truth. This is what Peter is speaking to. Now, let's go back and look at a few of what Paul wrote. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Actually, let's go back. Let's look at what Jesus said first, John 17. Now, let's see. Uh, Let's go back to Psalm 133, and then we'll pick up with. We'll start there, and we'll come through. See? Thousands of thoughts. Psalm 133. Verse 1. In your Bible, this is probably labeled a song of ascent, which means it was sung on the way up the, the... the hill, the Temple Mount, uh, Mount Zion, and the Hebrew people would sing this on the way up that mount on the Passover week as the sacrifices were being offered. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. And that's not the only time it's mentioned in the Old Testament, but just one that comes to mind. Now go with me to to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now this is the Lord's high priestly prayer for the folks at Flat Creek Baptist Church. not unique to us, but we're included in this. He's praying for his disciples, and he says, I don't pray for them. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. So we're in that prayer. Aren't you glad that the Lord prayed for you 2,000 years ago and continues to make intercession for you today? That's a blessing. 
I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. We didn't discover the word of God. Our parents may have had an influence, our siblings, our teachers, our pastor, whatever, but we didn't discover it. The Spirit of God moved for thousands of years. We're going to talk about that also in a moment. To deliver to us the truth of the Word of God, the doctrines, the purposes of God, the faith that is generated by the Lord. I don't pray for these alone, but also for these who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. And here's why. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I introduced verses 8 through 12 last Sunday by telling you that chapter 3 of 1 Peter, a great deal of the chapter is focused on evangelism. Jesus focusing on evangelism, on the spread of the good news about him. They also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Why are we to be in harmony? Why are we to be like-minded? That the world may believe that you sent me. Now, let's go to Paul's epistles, Romans 12. We were in Romans a few months ago now, finished it up. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. What's Paul talking about? He defines it. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and don't be wise in your own opinion. Our ability to rightly divide the word of God is not unique to us. Our ability to rightly divide the word of God has been passed down to us for thousands of years. When there's any new teaching, it is not true. If it is not in accord with what we are taught in the Word of God, and for Christians, primarily the New Testament, that doesn't downplay the Old Testament, it's just that that's where our source is. If it has not been delivered to us through the preaching and teaching of thousands upon thousands upon thousands for 2,000 years, if it's new, it's not true. Otherwise, if it's new, then those that have been uh, in error, according to the cults, will need some other form of salvation. And all you need to do is study Mormonism to figure that out. And we'll talk somewhat about it when we get to the the end of uh, chapter 3. So remember that. Do not forget that. Pass these truths along to your children. Let them be of the same mind 
and associate with the humble. Okay? Look at chapter 15. Verse 5. Paul's bringing this to a conclusion. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded. Now, it's similar to what Peter, the word Peter used, but it's not the same. It's translated in English the same, written for our learning that we, uh, let's see, be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father and God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Harmony, like-mindedness. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul speaking, writing to the church at Ephesus. Verse 11, and he gave himself, uh, and he himself rather gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, to a mature man or woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this unity means that we are no longer children. A lot of children in churches. A lot of adult children in some churches. Because their primary focus is on self. As, a, as we've said time and time again, the greatest idol that you and I have to contend with is self. And so, he says, be sure that you come to that unity. Now, this is an eschatological passage. In other words, it has to do with the glorification that you and I will enjoy, but it also is applicable to us today. Philippians chapter 2. We've been studying the book. It's been our privilege to study the book of Philippians for quite a while now in our Sunday school class. And verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that's humble-mindedness. In humbleness and lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, and then he defines it, let each of you not look not only for your own, uh, for your own interest, look out only for your own interest, but also for the interest of of others. So this is a consistent theme through the New Testament. If we were to go to Acts chapter 2, which we want this morning, but if we were, we would find that in verse 1, it says that the disciples, 120 of them, were all together in one place in the upper room in one accord. They were praying. What were they praying for? Well, were they praying for their aunts and uncles to be healed? No. Were they praying for some uh, poor individual to be fed? No. 
they were praying for the power of the gospel, and the power of the gospel did descend on, on them. And Peter, the same one that's writing this epistle, the man that wasn't like-minded, the man that wasn't sympathetic, the man that didn't love his brothers as he should, the man that showed no compassion or empathy, and the one that certainly was not humbled, Jesus humbled him. He stood to preach, and 3,000 folks cried, What must we do to be saved? Comes back to the purposes of God. We're like-minded for the purposes of God. In fact, we didn't read this in Philippians 2, but what we do find out in uh, Philippians 2 is the like-mindedness that he is teaching here in Philippians 2 precedes having the mind of Christ. All of us that are believers are taught that we're to have the mind of Christ. Not one of us has any more of the mind of Christ than another It is a harmonious focus. E.B. Cranville wrote, The New Testament never treats this agreeing in Christ as unnecessary, though highly desirable spiritual luxury. In other words, it's not optional. Well, I just can't be like this. Well, Peter was probably worse than any of us that are here this morning, although we don't know that. Certainly, we have testimony of his, uh, his lack of these attitudes in his life. And the Lord changed him and used it. So, yes, it can be done. The New Testament never treats disagreeing as Christ as unnecessary, though highly desirable spiritual luxury. It's not an option. But as something essential to the true being of the church. Each of us as individuals must exemplify these particular attitudes that Peter has listed for us in verse 8. Next slide, if you would, brother. Now, the church, Flat Creek, this was written to us. The church should be a place where harmony and unity are prevalent. We are more harmonious and more unified than we are having different opinions about matters that are serious. Now, we can have different opinions about things that are not cardinal, but we can't when they are cardinal doctrines, cardinal teaching, cardinal purposes of God. Personal preferences don't take the priority over harmony. If the church agrees that we need to move in this particular direction, my personal preference is then to submit to the personal preference or the preferences, rather, that the church has agreed upon, as long as it's not sinful. That applies for me. It applies for the church of the living God. That's what Peter was saying. 
if we've been commanded by our Savior to bring peace at large in the world, does it not also mean that we maintain an attitude of peace among believers in the church, among believers at Flat Creek? It does. I want them to be one, Jesus said, so that the world may believe in me. This means harmony in matters of doctrine, in matters of purpose, and in matters of faith. In matters of doctrine, this is non-negotiable. We're talking cardinal doctrines here. There are peripheral things that people get wrapped around the stumps about. When I'm talking about cardinal doctrines. I have some of them listed. Just be patient here. What the early church, and we have, we know what the early church believed. It's here. What the early church believed was basic tenets of the faith. What was codified from the apostles, from the writing of the New Testament, by the early church fathers that eventually became creeds, some of which are excellent in teaching us about what the New Testament itself has set aside. In fact, it's a, it's a good understanding of systematic theology, just to read some of the, the apostles' creed or the Nicene Creed and so forth. Just good to read those because it helps to formulate what the early church or what the early church fathers understood to be the teachings of Peter, Paul, James, Luke, Matthew, etc., etc., etc. Eventually, into catechisms and statements of faith. And we as Baptists have statement of faith. We are to subscribe to that statement of faith. And these are not debatable. Now, can we discuss them? Yes, but they're not debatable. They're not going to change because I disagree with them. That's what it means by non-negotiable. These are great truths. They are unchanging, and they are unchanging because God is unchanging. I am the Lord, I change not. This passage in particular, the first seven verses, people get, again, wrapped around the axle. Well, this can't mean for us today. It absolutely does mean for us today. Well, these, these verse, verse 8 here, stop thinking about how you can justify the Word of God. Just believe the Word of God. That you be not, as we read in Hebrews unbelieving. These things are settled. Over the 27, 28 years that the Lord has allowed us grace to be here at Flat Creek, many times folks, I've met with folks, uh, I've been grilled by folks on what I believe and so forth, and I always go back to the Bible. Always. Well, let's look and see what the Bible said. And then I'll say, do you agree with what the Bible said? Well, that's your interpretation. No. 
No, it's the interpretation and the application of thousands of years of understanding the teaching of the New Testament. Believe. Don't be people of unbelief and claim to be a child of God. These things are settled. The Trinity has always been under attack, always will be under, under attack. Most of these that I have listed here we don't understand. <laughs> it was never God's intention that we understand. It was God's intention that we believe them. This is who I am. Do you want a God that you can understand? I don't. I want a God that reveals himself and teaches me all the way through my mortal life who he is. The Trinity, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the passion of Christ, his resurrection, his ascension, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, future glorification, how saints converted by the precious Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, a Savior, will spend an eternity with him in his heaven. I don't get to go there because my mom and dad and grandparents and so forth, friends and family and acquaintances are there. The only reason that I will be part and parcel of at home with him in glory is because of Jesus. That's it. Thankfully. Not only that, but the judgment of unbelieving sinners eternally separated from him in a prepared place. Hell is a prepared place. Just as heaven. For those that love the world more than Christ and many, many others, these are non-negotiable. Harmony in matters of doctrine. Next slide. Do we struggle to understand these? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. I was listening to a message by Dr. Joel Beakey yesterday while I was cutting grass. And this is not going to appeal to everybody, I know, but the title of the message was the, the Dutch Reformation. And Dr. Beakey has a, uh, a Dutch background, so he was speaking at this conference, and he was talking about the men in the Netherlands in the late 1500s and into the 1600s that brought about the Reformation in their country. And obviously they were preceded by others. Um, but he went, men I'd never heard of. And probably never will hear of again. And he said, this individual, and he would mention the name, this individual wrote nine volumes, each volume over a thousand pages each of salvation by grace. Do we struggle to understand this? 
Yes, what are you saying, preacher? I'm, pre- I'm saying that the depths of God and the blessing of our salvation are unfathomable. That's what I'm saying. And we're not going to figure these out. I'm not sure we'll understand many of these when we get to heaven. We will worship, and maybe over time we will learn. I don't know. I don't know. Don't need to know. Do they seem at odds with our natural minds? (laughs) All God's people said, amen. They are at odds with our natural minds. But these are the truths that the church has been blessed with and is charged to keep and perpetually pass to our children. In matters of purpose, we're to be like-minded. What's the purpose of flat Greek? Is it fellowship? Well, yeah, that's part of the purpose, but is that our primary purpose? Our purpose is always God's purpose, which is a great commission. Is it fostered by fellowship? Yes, but it's not primary. It is a blessing because we've been born again. Is it praise and worship? Are they primary? Is it prayer? Now, prayer is an essential component of church life. It's one of the, the, um, the means of grace that God has given to us to foster the development of our uh, Christian life in conjunction with the Scripture. There should be a balance here. Now, praying and exposure to Scripture. Prayer is an essential component of the church life, and without, and with, without prayer together with the Scripture... We will never know God's will. We pray, Lord, I want to know your will. And then we close the Bible. Or we avoid preaching. Or we avoid teaching. And we wonder why I want to know God's will. We've preached about that a number of times here. The Baptist faith, the message of 2000, defines the church, and this is important. Peter is writing to the church, and so it's defined this way. I've used this several times. This is a statement of faith. The New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous or an independent local congregation of baptized believers. That's essential. It doesn't save you. But it's a step of obedience. It's the first step of obedience that the Lord Jesus required of believers. The very first one. That's a non-negotiable. You can frame it any way you want to, but it's non-negotiable. Associated by covenant and the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Observing the two ordinances of Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Governed by his laws, there's a moral implication, even though we're not saved morally by that, and we're saved by grace, 
There's a moral implication of living to the, uh, to the law. We exercise the gifts. The Spirit of God has dis, uh, descended upon us. The rights, the privileges invested in them by the Word. And we seek to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a purpose. Each congregation operates under the Lordship of Christ. As pastor, I would say that the Flat Creek is under the Lordship of Christ, and I'm sure that all of you would agree. The Lordship of Christ through democratic processes. Now, there are certain types of other, other good church governments, three or four of them in the New Testament, but we follow the congregational type. It's not the only one, but it is, a, is one, and it, it is, it's a good one. But it's not democracy as in the United States. It's what is determined for us in congregational understanding in the New Testament. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its two scriptural offices are that of the pastor, the elder, the overseer, and the deacon. Now, that's essentially stayed the same for Southern Baptists for almost 200 years now. Changed a little bit, not, not much. And, of course, there are uh, scores of scriptural references that, that follow that. But that's the definition. Our purpose here at Flat Creek is as born-again, baptized believers in harmony and faith. that we observe the two ordinances that Christ has left us. We're invested by his word. We seek to preach the gospel and to make disciples, which includes church discipline. No church without the preaching of the word, the commitment to the two ordinances of Jesus Christ that were left to us, and church discipline. Now, you may call it a church, but if it doesn't have those three, it's not a church, not according to the New Testament. And so we need to be committed in matters of purpose, and we need to be like-minded for this. I want to bring this one to a close. I was hoping to get, and you knew better than that. Hoping to get to all uh, five, but we won't this morning. Next slide, if you will, brother. So the, fa the final one is in matters of faith. Now, that's different from doctrine because doctrine are the, doctrines are uh, the, the textbook, so to speak, of what we are to believe. Faith is the incorporation of the intelligence of being able to digest what the textbook has taught us. In matters of faith, gifted from the Holy Spirit to his people. We're to be like-minded in our resolve to defend the biblical doctrine with our tithes and our offerings. Our giving, while it's not the primary focus of the church, certainly it is a focus of the church, our tithes and our offerings. Some of you young folks are uh, going to school, going to finish school, get a job, and the first checks that you write, uh, however you want to make the commitment here to Flat Creek, should be a tithe and an offering. 
That's part of your commitment to this fellowship, part of my commitment to this fellowship. Folks that say they're committed to a church and never give or, or put a dollar or whatever are not committed. Thankfully, the Lord has blessed us in this area. We will seek harmony in the purposes intended to glorify the triune God. And these three, doctrine, the purposes, and faith coalesce to form the Christian life. Does our life experience as a believer permit us to relax our heart's attitude toward one another? No, it doesn't. I get tired. You get tired. Older I get, the tireder I get. Older I get, the slower I go. If I sit down, I falls asleep. And that's okay. But I'm never too relaxed my heart's attitude toward you. In our life experience since becoming a child of God, should teach us to trust the Holy Spirit. That's where faith comes in, trust. To trust the Holy Spirit more and more with our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies, and our materials. As a believer, our life experience teaches us from Scripture that like-mindedness is always exercised in the ground of submission. And that leads into sympathy. We're not going to cover that this morning. We'll pick up with that next Sunday morning. But when we are submissive, we tend to be sympathetic. These are the teachings and writings of Peter, and this is just the first in the five attitudes that teach us about Jesus. Who exemplifies all these attitudes? Christ alone. And if we are Christians, Christ-like is that word, then we should desire these attitudes in our heart and our soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This morning for the word, we thank you, Father, for the charge that we're to be like-minded. We are to be people of unity. We are to be harmonious in the understanding of doctrine and the purposes of the Great Commission and our faith toward you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are knowable but unfathomable. And that you condescended in such a manner that we feeble, ignorant, self-serving, despicable sinners were loved long before we even knew of you. And so we thank you and we praise you this morning. Teach us, Lord, that these truths are blessings to us. They're given to us to write our lives to the weather vane of Jesus Christ. 
Have your sweet will, your divine way, the remainder of this service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will sing a closing hymn this morning. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the Bride, the Church, through the Word, invites you to come. Come, drink of the waters of life freely. And you, perhaps like Peter, can be changed. And the Lord loves you. He's going to change you, and he's going to work to make you and I like Jesus Christ. As we sing this morning, if you would make your way out of the pew, we can take you to a private prayer room, lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an answer to the invitation given in Revelation 22. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Confess your sins before him. Call out to Jesus. He and he alone will save you. As a child of God, the Lord's leading you into the fellowship of this church. Perhaps you know the Lord Jesus as Savior. Perhaps you need to follow him in believer's baptism. We encourage you to likewise make that uh, uh, known today. If you're here today and as, as a child of God, this submitting to blessings in the church, this, uh, the Lord's given us great opportunity here at Flat Creek to, to continue to preach the word and to see that the doctrines and purposes of faith of the church carried forth in Jesus Christ. What number, Brother Vance? 294. 204, 294, I'm sorry. Stand, let's stand.